You're listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This series is designed as a companion for Michael's book, A Call for Courage, Living with Power, Truth, and Love in an Age of Intolerance and Fear. Grab your copy on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, or wherever books are sold. Did you know that the change, the potential to change and transform this nation, our churches in this nation, our communities in this nation, your family and my family, your life and my life resides within you and within me if we are followers of Jesus. If you believe that this morning, let's display that by a round of applause. You believe that? You see, this is exactly what we have been learning in a very practical way through this sermon series called A Call for Courage. How you and I can learn how to stand up and speak out in love and in humility in a world that says, no, 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 you need to sit down and you need to shush. You need to shut up. You need to be quiet. Keep that Jesus stuff to yourself. But thankfully, we're learning how to be courageous, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what we're gonna see this morning is another tile in the mosaic of what it looks like and why we should be humble and courageous and tenacious, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so what what I want you to leave with this morning, and more importantly, what I believe God wants you to leave with this morning, because my opinions don't matter at the end of the day, It's God's opinion that matters, right? Can I get an amen? You with me this morning? Okay, great. What matters is God's opinion. And what we're gonna leave with today should blow our doors off. It really, truly should. Help you to understand and help me to understand who you are and who I am in Jesus individually and then collectively as a church so that you and I might practice who we already are in position. Now to do that, we're gonna get a quick crash course of the whole Bible from Genesis through Revelation. So I hope that you have your whole day blocked out because we're gonna be here all morning. Is that okay? All right, are you ready? Are you buckled? All right, because what we're gonna do, we're gonna get in the plane and we're gonna, like a jet, we're just gonna fly over the whole story of the Bible I'm not kidding, from Genesis to Revelation. And when we are done, I guarantee you, the light bulbs are gonna go off, the, short, the circuits are gonna be shorted, and you're gonna go, oh my word. I, I mean, I knew that's who I was in Jesus, but like now I really know that's who I am in Jesus. And, and to do anything other than be humble and to do anything other than be courageous, it's such a contradiction to who I am in Jesus. So are you ready? Okay, let's bring up slide number one. And there's gonna be a little different. We have some slides here this morning. Now, I want you to take notes because we're covering a lot of ground and this is gonna be a lot to soak in. And remember, it's a crash course, so it's not exhaustive. So I'm gonna throw out a lot of verses. We're not gonna read all of them, but I'm gonna equip you to be like the Bereans in the book of Acts. After you're done here this morning, you can go home and take this and go, oh my word, I'm not gonna believe this just because some pastor told me to believe it. I'm gonna believe it because this is what's in God's word. Okay, so slide number one, we have heaven 
represented by H. This isn't helium, okay? This is heaven and then earth. And don't look into the colors. We just picked two colors that were very different so that our eyes would be able to see the difference, okay? So what this represents is at the very beginning of the story, God's word, okay? Just because, by the way, just because I say story doesn't mean it's not history, his story, okay? So God's story opens up in Genesis chapters one and two. And how does the Bible start, everybody? It says what? In the, all right, help me out. In the what? Okay, good, you're with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and he created the earth. And he created out of an overflow of his love. He didn't create because he was bored. He didn't create because he needed us. He simply created out of an overflow of his love. It's a beautiful way to look at it. And so what we have here is we have heaven, which is God's space. And then we have earth, which is the habitat for humanity that God created out of his great hospitality. Okay, so heaven and earth, and these two worlds are overlapped in the very beginning. And we know from Genesis 1 and 2, God created, he created, he created. And then the very climax, the pinnacle of his creation is with you and with me, with humanity, with Adam and with Eve. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter one and turn with me. We're gonna look at verses 27 and 28 of Genesis chapter one. Okay, so this was the beginning. Heaven and earth perfectly united. God dwelling with humanity. And here's what Genesis 1, 27 and 28 says. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Okay, so he creates Adam and Eve. And then here's what he tells them, verse 28. Then God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Now listen to his language here. Reign over it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and the animals that scurry along the ground. So God creates, he places Adam and Eve in the garden, and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to rule over this space. So if we can go to the next slide, what we have, and by the way, okay, this isn't geographical, like Eden wasn't in the center of the world, okay? This is just for pictorial sake. You with me? Does that make sense? Okay, so... What God said to them was, I'm gonna place you in the garden, in Eden, in paradise. That's what that word means in Hebrew, in paradise. And what I want you to do is take the raw resources, the raw materials that I've created, and I want you to co-create with me. I want you to take Eden, and I want you to go fill the whole earth, bringing order out of chaos, extending my definition of love my definition of grace, my definition of mercy, my definition of justice, my definition of goodness, my definition of beauty. You get the picture, right? Take all of that and go and rule and reign over the whole earth. Be my co-creators, my partners with me in advancing my agenda on earth, God's kingdom on earth. Create culture. That's what he called us to do. Now, the interesting thing about this word image in Genesis 1.27 is this, okay? We're gonna, if we can do this, we're gonna go ahead and geek out here. Is it okay to geek out? Okay, if you have glasses, you can do this with me. We're geeking out right now. Okay, good, you're with me. So this word in Hebrew is tselem, T-S-E-L-E-M, tselem. And tselem is a fascinating word because what it actually is translated into 
here is image, but elsewhere it's actually translated it as idol, as idol. Now that should get us scratching our heads. That's really interesting. So the word image is the same word for idol? I don't understand. Well, what's really fascinating is in biblical times, the nations surrounding Israel, those nations had kings. And those kings were the images of the gods, lowercase g. Okay, they were the images of the gods. And it was only the king, it was only royalty that was the image of the gods. And his role was to co-create with the gods to extend their definition of good and evil, of beauty and mercy and justice and grace and all of these things that we've already looked at into the earth. Interesting. So what's God doing here in Genesis? Well, when was Genesis written? It was written to Moses, right? When the Israelites came out of Egypt, they were in bondage for 400 years and God is giving them their true story, their true history. And he's saying, no, 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 no. It's not just the king who's my image. It's not just the king who is to make the invisible visible right here on earth. It's every single one of you. And that's what God's called us to do. So this, this was the commission that he had given them. Now, if we jump to the next slide, slide number three, we know that this, uh, this didn't last very long. In fact, page three of the Bible or chapter three of the Bible, chapters three through 11 recount what we call today as the fall. What happened in the fall? You can read it for yourself, Genesis 3 through 11. But what happened was sin entered into the world because Adam and Eve, although they were already made in God's image, they wanted more. They wanted to define good and evil on their own terms. And so they gave into temptation. Don't worry, you and I would have done the same thing if we were there too. They gave into temptation and sin entered in and fractured all of creation. It fractured Adam and Eve's relationship with God. It fractured their relationship with one another. It fractured their relationship to creation. And what was the great marriage between heaven and earth, God's space and man's space is now torn in two, represented by this slide. This is the original great divorce. Why? Because of sin, because of sin. Now, at this moment in the story, by the way, we're we're very early on in the story. At this moment in the story, God has every right to just abandon things. But is that what he does? Is that what he does? Help me out. No, right? It's not. So he decides, you know what? I'm gonna pursue relentlessly my wayward rebellious creation out of my love for them. And so what does he do? He raises up a family. The head of that family is Abraham. And he calls Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm calling you into this partnership with me. So at this point, you should be thinking back to the second slide, take Eden out into the world. Hey, Abraham, I want you to join me in my kingdom advancing work. And I want you to define by my definition of good and evil and beauty and justice and mercy and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and righteousness. And we could go on and on. I want you to extend that to the nations because through you and through your family, the whole world is gonna be blessed. And so out of Abraham comes the nation of Israel. And what's fascinating when we get to the nation of Israel is we have this little tiny, emphasis on tiny, thing called the tabernacle. Okay, turn with me to Exodus chapter 25. Exodus chapter 25, verses eight and nine. 
Exodus 25 verses eight and nine says this. God speaking to Moses to tell the nation of Israel this. He says, have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so that I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern that I will show you. So interesting. So God wants Moses and the Israelites to build a tabernacle. Why? Because he wants to dwell in their midst. Now don't mistake this. God isn't just, he doesn't relegate his presence to just this little tabernacle, right? It's the whole earth. But he says, I wanna localize my presence among my people. And what we know from the Old Testament is that the tabernacle was located where? It was located in the very center of the tribes of Israel, representing God's presence right in the midst of his people. But the tabernacle, it, it was actually quite a little humble hut. It was 15 yards by five yards by five yards. That's it, very tiny. So if we can bring up the next slide, slide four. What's fascinating about the tabernacle, and you can read this, write this down, Exodus 25 through 30. It recounts all of the workings of the tabernacle down to, I want you to use this color for the tabernacle cloth. And I want you to embroider these things on the cloth. And what's fascinating, you go ahead and read that on your own time. You're gonna see, he wants them to put almond branches on the uh, material. He wants them to put pomegranates on the material. There's cherubim on the holy seat. All of those things are echoing what part of the story? Genesis one and two. And so what happens is God is actually telling his people, I haven't abandoned you. In fact, heaven is now crashing into earth again. And this time it's in the tabernacle where my people meet with me. And so this is what we have. Now the challenge with this, if we go to the next slide, is that the tabernacle was mobile. It followed the Israelites around everywhere it went. It was the center. It was God's presence represented with his people through the tabernacle. But then they they come into the promised land and they enter in and they settle in. And remember in the story, David says, God, I want to build you a what? What does David want to build God? Help me out. A temple, right? A temple. Why? Because he wants to see God's presence manifest amongst God's people now that they're in the promised land. And God says, no, you can't do that because you have too much blood on your hands. But your son Solomon, he's the one who's going to build me the temple. And you can read about this in your own time. Write these down. First Kings chapters five, six, and seven. Recount the building of the temple. And what's really interesting, again, you read that and you'll see, oh my word, this is Genesis language again. This is Genesis language. It's echoing back to the beginning. Why? Because it's heaven on earth. This is the place where God's people go to interact with him and to soak in his presence. And if, if you know anything about the tabernacle and anything about the temple, it was broken into two sections. And the smallest section, which would have actually been dimensionally a cube, was known as the Holy of Holies, where the high priest would go one time a year to offer sacrifice for the day of atonement, where God would cover the sin of his people. But the challenge with this is on this slide. The challenge of this is that God's presence is localized to one spot in the temple. And so his people made their yearly pilgrimage to the temple. So if I want to experience heaven on earth, I've got to go 
to the where? To the temple. So it's this idea of come and see so that you may go and tell. Now, unfortunately, Israel was supposed to be the light of the nations. They ended up, well, they actually ended up becoming just like Babylon, defining good and evil on their own terms, not advancing God's kingdom here on earth. And so God says, I'm not giving up. In fact, the whole Old Testament, which was looking forward to the coming king, the Messiah, is about to find its fulfillment and it's gonna find its fulfillment in who? Oh, I heard, I heard a lot of people say, help me out here, who? Jesus, right? Jesus. So jump to the next slide. If it was good before, it's gonna become amazing right now, the story. It's so, ah, it's so exciting. Okay, so turn with me to John's gospel. John's gospel. Light bulbs are gonna go off here. John's gospel, chapter one. Now think about what we've talked about. The tabernacle and the temple are echoing Genesis language. Watch how John starts his gospel. Verse one, in the beginning, thank you, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Now, verse 14, look at this with me. So the word became flesh, meaning he became human and made his home or his dwelling among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. I told you it was gonna get good. Okay, so verse 14, he says, God became flesh the God-man Jesus, heaven and earth united together in this person whose name is Jesus, heaven crashing into earth through Jesus. John says that he dwelt among us. So the English doesn't pick this nuance up, but in the Greek, that word literally is translated tabernacled. Okay, so the word became flesh and he tabernacled among us. Okay, what does that have to do with anything? Why, why, Pastor Joe, do you seem so excited about that? Because what's John doing? He's pointing back to Genesis and he's pointing back to Exodus, that heaven has come and crashed into earth. This time it's in its fulfillment in the person of Jesus. John's gospel, this time chapter two, starting in verse 19. This comes at the very tail end of Jesus arguing with the religious leaders. They're arguing. In verse 19, Jesus says this. He says, all right, destroy this temple and in three days, I will raise it up. (laughs) This is hilarious, Jesus. What are you talking about? Verse 20, what they exclaimed, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're saying you can rebuild it in three days? But then John cues us in, verse 21. But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. So John's telling us in chapter one, Jesus is the tabernacle. Chapter two, he's saying Jesus is the temple. Now turn back to the very end of John chapter one, verse 29, John the Baptist who preceded Jesus, who pointed to Jesus, looks at Jesus 
at the very beginning of his ministry, and he says this, John 1, 29, the next day, John, meaning John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said this, look or behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, why is that important? Because John's telling us Jesus is the tabernacle, he's the temple, but most importantly, he's the sacrifice. He's the temple and the sacrifice. Now, this is where, again, it gets so fascinating. Let's go to the next slide. Jesus is now the mobile hotspot of God's presence. God wrapped up in Jesus. And remember, we saw the temple. We saw it was this come and see. If you want to go to God's presence, you have to come and see. Jesus turns that on its head, and he now is the mobile temple. He's going out, and we read this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's going out and doing what? He's doing what Adam and Eve failed to do. He's extending Eden into the world, new creation into the world. How do we know this? What did Jesus do? He didn't just pronounce the kingdom of God. He actually lived out the kingdom of God. Think about it. Everywhere he went, what happened? There was forgiveness. There was serving. There was love. There was sacrifice. He went to the lepers and he touched them. And what was supposed to happen was he was supposed to be unclean. Is that what happened? No, the lepers now became clean. He raised the dead back to life. The same Jesus who we worship today, doing all these things back in his day, raising you and me to life. And so Jesus is going around and he's giving life everywhere he goes. He's giving little tastes of heaven, bursting into earth. This is why when Jesus' disciples said, teach us how to pray, rabbi, meaning teacher, he told them this. And we all know this, but we, but we miss it. We miss it. He said, if you want to pray, pray this way. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, meaning be, your name be revered. Hallowed be your name. Watch what he says. Your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus lassoing heaven and pulling it down into the present through Jesus. And he's now extending it to you and he's extending it to me. This idea of Jesus being heaven and earth wrapped up in one and extending heaven here on earth, he does this in the ultimate act. Remember we said he was the temple and the temple sacrifice. And so the ultimate way for Jesus to extend life is to do what? Give up his own life so that you and I could have life. Three days later, he's raised from the dead. God's stamp of approval. Yes. Yes, this was my son. Yes, I'm instituting new creation in the here and the now. Yes, this is how heaven is breaking into earth through Jesus. And now, guess who else it's coming through? You and me. How do we know that? Up here. Jesus goes around extending heaven right here on earth. He makes a way for us. He's the sacrifice, makes a way for us to be in relationship with our father who now makes us, Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, write that down, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says that you are now a new creation in Jesus, picking up on Genesis language. And therefore you're an ambassador to go and represent, to represent Jesus to the nations. And so then what happens is these communities start forming 
these little Jesus communities, and these are known as churches. Now, don't, when I say church, don't think building, think the people of God, okay? The word in Hebrew is ekklesia, that means called out ones. That's literally what church means, the called out ones. So don't mistake that for a building. Don't do what the Pharisees did when Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll build it again. They're fixated on a building and not the movement. Don't do that. Don't mistake that. That's what we do. So these Jesus communities start to form and they actually begin to display heaven on earth. Not perfectly. If you find a perfect church, run because there is no perfect church. They start to display little tastes of heaven on earth. I love when I go to the beach and I go to the boardwalk and there's this little tiny shop called Fudge Kitchen. Raise your hand if you heard of Fudge Kitchen. All right, you know where I'm going with this. Fudge Kitchen. And I kid you not, it doesn't matter what beach you go to, it's all the same. They always have somebody out front giving out samples. And I love that and I hate that. I love that because free food. I love that because this is amazing. Yes, I would like a sample. Oh, one per person, sir, as I go to reach for my next sample. One per person. What happened was when I tasted it, I wanted more, right? And so I hate it because now, now guess what I'm doing? I'm going into Fudge Kitchen. I'm making sure my wife's not around. I'm going in. I'm buying a couple boxes on, on the down low. I'm trying to sneak them in my shirt maybe and take them out with me back home because I want to enjoy that fudge because it's so good. Am I the only one who has this experience? Raise your hand if you have this experience with Fudge Kitchen. Okay, thank you for being honest. Thank you for being honest. And so this illustration is the exact same thing that's happening, is that these Jesus communities are now giving little samples of what it's like to live under the rule and reign of Jesus. And that's what he wants you and I to do. So next slide. So this is what happens. Just as heaven crashed into earth through Jesus and Jesus was extending his father's culture. Remember, Jesus said, I don't do anything unless I see my father doing it, then I'll go ahead and do it. So he replicates himself into us, to you and me, his followers. Exponential replication and this thing spreads like a virus, but thankfully it's a good virus. It's one that brings life, not death. And so he calls you and he calls me to go, go, go. Go give those samples, go give those foretastes, go extend my kingdom right here on earth so that people might come to know me and they might become fully human in me. Now, if you don't believe me, turn with me to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, so you know I'm not making this up. 1 Corinthians chapter three, verses 16 and 17, Paul says this. He's speaking to the whole church. Don't y'all realize that y'all together are the temple of God and the spirit of God lives in you, God will destroy anyone who destroys his temple for God's temple is holy and y'all are that temple. God's plan A for the world is you and me. God makes himself known to the world through you and through me. That's how God extends his kingdom. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. This time, Paul is speaking to the individual believer and he says this. Don't you realize, Christian, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. 
Paul connecting the dots. We're the temple collectively and the temple individually of the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't only have implications for how we take care of ourselves. It has implications for how heaven enters earth right now today. And in case you're wondering, okay, we started in Genesis. Surely this isn't in Revelation. Revelation 21 and Revelation 22, you can read it on your own time. John says, he saw the new Jerusalem descending from heaven to the renewed earth, God dwelling with his people. And in Revelation 21, he he cues us in. He says, hey, there was this angel with me and the angel had a measuring rod. And the angel had a measuring rod. This is Revelation 21, 16. And he says, the angel measured the new Jerusalem and it measured 1400 miles long by 1400 miles high by 1400 miles wide. What is that? That's a cube. What was a cube? The holy of holies in the tabernacle and in the temple, heaven and earth, Revelation 21 and 22 being reunited. And what started in the beginning with a garden now ends with a garden city, Jesus dwelling in an unhindered way with his people, with you and with me forever and ever. And John picks up on this language of ruling and reigning in Revelation. And he says that all of you will rule and reign with Jesus for all of eternity, doing what he originally intended all the way back in Genesis 128, rule and reign, partner with me to extend my kingdom here on earth. And when that happens, it is fully and it is finally, and it is freeing. Pastor Joe, so what? So what? Fantastic. We just saw that this idea of temple stretches all the way from page one, all the way to the last page of the Bible. But what does that really have to do with today? You see, it should compel you and it should compel me to live fully into who we are in Jesus. We have been equipped to reach the world for Jesus. So I want to leave you with four action steps as to how you and I can be monumental movement makers for God. Four action steps for how you and I can be monumental movement makers for God. And if you've been paying attention during the sermon series, these four things are gonna sound eerily familiar, but all I'm doing is connecting them to this idea of temple. And by the end, we should go, praise Jesus, hallelujah, let's get busy. Action step number one, reject the majority myth. Reject the majority myth. Pastor Mike talks about this in his book, A Call for Courage. Here's the bottom line for the majority myth. It only takes a dime to make change. It only takes a dime to make change. Researchers have shown how it only takes 10% of people to propagate and advance a view that becomes the majority view of the people in that land. And for heaven's sakes, and I mean this respectfully because I am part of the church, but for heaven's sakes, statistically, we have way more than 10% of Christians in this nation The problem is, is we don't know who we are. We don't know what to do and we don't know how to do it. But what we just saw, friends, you and I were the temple of the Holy Spirit. So how we interact with one another, there are over a hundred one another's in the New Testament. Love one another, forgive one another, bear one another's burdens, serve one another, matters. 
Because Jesus said that it's the unity of the church that actually is the greatest witness or greatest apologetic for my existence, how you and I interact with one another, the family of God interacting with each other. It was so magnetic in the first century, so magnetic. You think about this and really think about this. There were 120 believers in the upper room at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell, 120. And they changed the whole world. Why? Because they were the temple of the Holy Spirit, God making himself known to the nations through them. And early Christianity went viral before being viral was even a thing. It went viral because what you had was a movement making minority who was sold out for their savior. A movement making minority who was sold out for their savior, following Jesus, They weren't living comfortably. They were uncomfortable because they recognized that when they were uncomfortable is when God moves. I don't want to get to the end of my life and think, oh my word, I was just a Christian in name only. I basically was a functioning atheist. That's what I was. I lived my life just like everybody else around me did. I didn't really lean into the Lord. I really didn't press into the Lord. I really didn't depend upon the Lord. I just kind of did cultural Christianity. That's why we're not seeing change in this nation because cultural Christianity doesn't change the nation. Jesus movement making Christianity is what changes the nation. And you and me have been equipped to do that. So remember, it only takes a dime to make change. Number two, simplify your life. We could do sermons on this one because I would just be up here preaching to myself because I know the weight of busyness, just like every single one of you in this room. So a couple of practical applications. Simplify your life. Number one, you and I must power down to power up. You and I must power down to power up. I was even tempted to bring my smartphone out here with me. And I thought, why would I need my smartphone? I'm going up and I'm preaching. What am I going to be like scrolling through my email as I'm preaching? No, but it's such an addictive tendency to just, just, all I'm doing, I'm just checking the time. I'm just checking to see how many messages I got. I'm just checking to see what the score was. I'm just checking to check, 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 check. And basically what we're doing is we're waterboarding our brains. I mean, I know that that sounds really drastic, but that's exactly what we're doing. We're waterboarding our brains. And we wonder why, why do I feel so stressed? Why do I feel so fragmented? Why is my family falling apart in front of me? Why is it that when we sit at the dinner table, everybody just has their phones out? We're waterboarding our brains. We're not giving them a chance to breathe. How in the world as we as God's temple are we supposed to even hear what God is trying to say to us? So we must power down to power up. Power down to power up. So stop trying to connect to mobile hotspots with your phone and be the mobile hotspot that you are for Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, submit your schedule to your savior. Submit your schedule to your savior. My wife and I are in process on this one. This is a hard one because in the day and age that we live in, not only do we want to be connected 24 seven on our devices, but then we feel a need to be connected 24 seven to everything else that's going on around us. That's not even humanly possible. You're not a human doing, you're a human being. So sit down with your family and this could take days, this could take weeks and that's okay. Come up with your family vision, your family mission and your family values. And if you wanna expedite that whole process, just take a look at what our vision, mission, and values are as a church and just go, oh, well, they did the work for me. Hey, thanks so much, guys. And just take that and apply it to your family. 
Because if we're gonna be the temples of the Holy Spirit, if we are how God is gonna reach the nation, if we are how God is gonna reach our neighbors, if we are how God is gonna reach our family members, then we have to be ruthless with our schedules so that we can actually free up time. Friends, if you don't have time to have an impromptu conversation with your neighbor as you're taking out the trash, because I gotta go, I'm so busy, then there's something wrong. We weren't created to constantly do, 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 do. And speaking of do-do, if you don't have time to even smell your own farts, you're way too busy. You're way too, and for those of you who work here, you know what I'm talking about because you hear me say that. It's one of those days, I don't even have time to smell my own farts. Gotta go, gotta go. So why am I being silly? Because I want you to remember this. Submit your schedule to your savior. Number three, lead effectively. Lead effectively. Now we're looking at four points to how you can become a monumental movement maker for Jesus. Let's camp out on the word monumental. If you take the first part of that word, it's monument. And sadly, this is what many of us have experienced in our walk with God. And this is what many of us have experienced in a local church. We're nothing more than monuments unto ourselves. What is a monument? I spent some time in Gettysburg this past fall touring the battlefields. There's monuments all over the place. But you see, in order to see those monuments, what what do I have to do? Monuments don't walk. Monuments don't talk. Monuments don't breathe. They're not walking over to me and saying, oh, I'd like to tell you a story. No, I have to go to them. And then I read them. And this monument is a marker that something significant happened right here in this space at one time. History was made in the past right here. My wife and I, early on in our marriage, we we took a vacation to Portland, Maine. If you don't know much about New England, it's an area that is where great awakenings happened, is where the first churches were planted in this nation, and it's actually the most unreached people group in the nation, believe it or not, live in New England, not the West Coast, which is what we commonly think. It's fascinating. And we went to this amazing restaurant and the food was delicious. I'm not gonna talk about the food because I already talked about fudge and that wouldn't be fair. So the food was so good and the building was so beautiful, but you know what the building was? The building was a church building that was one of the oldest churches in the nation. Now being served up as a restaurant for people to come and see. It's not even being used for its original purpose. How many of us? Again, I mean this respectfully because I've experienced this this in my walk. How many of us are just monuments expecting people to come to us and ask us about our Jesus? We're not monuments. We're mobile, living, breathing, walking, talking temples. So with this idea of, of witnessing, of sharing our faith with others, write this down. Don't share a canned speech Don't share a canned speech, share your Christ story. Don't share a canned speech, share your Christ story. Share your story of what Jesus has done, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus will do, not just for you, but what he wants to do for every single person on the face of this planet. And he wants to do it through you, the man or the woman in the mirror. And you've been equipped to do that. So be a monumental movement maker and not a monument. And for us as a church, 
that means that we worship an unchanging God who's always calling us to change and become more like Jesus. So our message never changes, but the means by which we share that message had better change. Why? Because we don't just wanna consume culture. We don't just wanna mirror culture. We wanna create it. We wanna be on the cutting edge. We wanna use every resource humanly possible as a church and as individuals to reach the nations for Jesus. That's why we're changing and it should be exciting. We should be celebrating it. Yes, we celebrate the past. Yes, thank you God for what you've done. But I don't know about you. I don't wanna be thinking about what God did then to merely think about what he did then. I wanna think about what he's doing right now, right now in my life and in yours. We're making history right now here at Grace and we don't even know it. And God is on the move. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. He has so much more in store for us. So much more, so much. Finally, number four, stop waiting for a divine bailout. You've heard Pastor Mike talk about this. He talks about this in his book. We use the rapture or we use the second coming of Jesus as an escape clause because we think that our whole faith is about going to heaven when we die. Is that true? Yes. But what have we seen this morning? It's about heaven breaking into earth through you and through me. And I don't know about you, but that faith excites me way more than the faith that I was taught previously that only took a little part of the story and said, this is the whole story. And what I'm trying to help us understand this morning is that it's so much bigger than that. And this is how God's gonna reach the nations through us collectively, through us individually. So don't wait for the divine bailout. In fact, why would you? Because we've already received a divine bailout through Jesus and what he's done on the cross. So why would we sit around and wait for something that he's already given us? He says, get busy. Get busy partnering with me. Be spirit dependent and not self-sufficient for my name and my glory. That's what he's called us to. But it's so easy And I know this because in my flesh, it's so easy. It's so easy to be a disengaged downer, a disengaged downer who merely consumes culture and then critiques culture as if you and I aren't part of the culture. How many times have we heard in Christian circles and it's probably even come out of our mouths because at one point in my life, God, forgive me, it's come out of my mouth. Oh, look at how bad the nation's going. Oh, you know, I can't talk to my neighbor because they're dangerous people. Oh, I can't do all of these things because I'm afraid of these things. But you know what? It's all about me going to heaven one day when I die. And who really cares about these people anyway? That's so antithetical. That's so contradictory to the heart of God and the mission that God has given us. It should break our hearts. So don't be a disengaged downer. Be an engaged encourager who creates and cultivates Jesus's culture, heaven breaking into earth through you and through me, not only in our sharing of our faith, but in our workplaces and in our homes and in our neighborhoods, extending his goodness, his mercy, his justice, his beauty through the relationships that he has given us with others. You see, we have such a rich tradition as Christians. Did you know historically that Christians are responsible for creating hospitals? Do you know Christians are responsible for creating education systems, 
Christians are responsible for creating law enforcement systems. Christians are responsible for being on the cutting edge of arts and culture and media. All of these things are part of our tradition. They're part of our history as the church. Why aren't we doing them? Because we're disengaged and we're downers and it's easier to be an armchair quarterback than it is to be boots on the ground, partnering with God to advance his kingdom. What we need are whole Christians reading their whole Bibles to transform the whole culture with their whole lives. And that's what God has called you and me to do. And I hope in a little taste of what we've seen this morning, that you're growing in your understanding of what it means to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. Because God has commissioned you and he's commissioned me to together and individually reach the nations to make disciples who love God and love people and make more disciples for his glory. Interested in requesting Michael Anthony for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on couragematters.com. You can get more resources just like this through the app and website too.